Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Father's Day. I'm glad someone thought it up, aren't you? And I'm glad you're here this morning. I have a message this morning I entitled, The Waiting Father. And I want you to turn to that timeless story, that precious pearl of a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Rather lengthy passage of scripture, but I remind you it's not my scripture, it's his. It's what he said. You have it, say, I got it. You haven't got it, say, wait a minute. All right. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, let me read that again. When he came to his senses, he said, how many men, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This story's been told over and over again for 2,100 years plus. And every evangelist worthy of the name has used it to make appeals for people to come home. But I think we have misplaced the emphasis of the story of Christ because we've made a hero out of the prodigal and the elder brother a villain. But what Jesus was emphasizing was the grace of the waiting father. And in Luke 15, he told a trilogy of parables for the benefit of the scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders who had a joyless religion. They filled it with duties. And they were concerned with laws and they burdened, they were burdened and they burdened others with impossible demands on their performances. And they've multiplied these simple commandments of God with interpretations of their own making. And I dare say we have some of those among us today. But nevertheless, it will help us understand this story if we identify the characters, the three characters in it. And the first is a father. And I have no doubt that Jesus meant to represent God by this figure of a father. He had introduced that idea that God was a father in some of his other teachings. but And the Pharisees had, had concepts of God as a judge, jury, and executioner. But the idea of him as a father was the farthest thing from their mind. Second, I want to identify the younger brother, and I'll call him younger throughout this message. And I think he represents many who are not as dissolute as he but to the Pharisees, those who were not concerned with this minor law-keeping of theirs, this washing of their hands and tithing of their garden herbs and their dietary laws and so on, if you didn't do those things, then you were a great sinner without hope of redemption. And then there's the elder brother. I wouldn't mention him at all, but Jesus put him in here. And he is a Pharisee, at least in his thinking. And his reaction 
to the prodigal's return is just exactly like the Pharisees' reaction when people came to Christ. So first of all, the younger son. Now his request was legitimate. And there's no suggestion in the story that he was at odds with his father, but I've observed something. It's almost impossible for two generations to live in the same house without some conflict. Had you noticed that? Experience teaches us that. And it's amazing how much my father learned after I turned 21. (laughs) Well, at any rate, this younger son was always going to be the younger son. And his opinions and his experiences would never carry the weight that his older brothers did. And when the father passed on, the older brother would become head of the house. And he would get two-thirds of the inheritance. And he would be the spiritual head of the family. And younger could not imagine his older brother being head of the house. And so he took the escape route. Not willing to wait, he made a request of his father and a council was called. And a settlement was made that all parties had to agree to. And Younger turned his property into cash, bought a Cadillac, and drove off. He reminds me of a man I heard about who went to Las Vegas. He must have made it big because he went in a $30,000 Chevrolet and came back in a $100,000 bus. But the rest of the Younger's story is predictable because it's so common. And we could apply some platitudes here, like a fool and his money are soon parted. My father said he wanted to know how they got together. (laughs) Or he ate the bitter fruit of having his own way. Or you ought not give a man what he's not capable of receiving. But here's one I really like, and you ought to write it down. The world will use for its pleasure the one who uses the world for his pleasure. And those things all may be true, but they're not helpful. There are some words and phrases here we need to look at. For instance, far country. How far is the far country? The far country is anywhere away from God. You can be in this congregation and be far from God. You can be any distance from God is a far country. And things are different in the far country. In the younger's case, there was a difference in morality. He wanted to escape the strict morality of the Jewish home. 
So in his eagerness to get away, he wasted his substance. But the tragic thing is, he wasted himself. I don't know how long he was gone. But it was too long. And I read in the paper almost every week, some day of the week, someone has lost his life, an overdose of drugs. And I always think, what a tragedy. What a tragedy. The far country will never give you comfort, never give you strength, never give you comfort, nor hope. There's the word famine, which suggests that he did not even have the basic needs of his life, but no one in the far country cares. The word joined himself suggests that he gave himself to a more severe taskmaster than his older brother would have been. And I had dare to say that Younger is not the first nor the last to live to regret his leaving home. Lord Byron, an English nobleman of the 1800s and poet, lived a dissolute life as any prodigal. Some say he was a homosexual. Perhaps you remember his poem. He wrote it. In his old age, when he was riddled with disease and the effects of alcohol, and he wrote, My days are in the yellow leaf. The flower and fruits of life are gone. The worm, the anguish, and the grief are mine alone. And in verse 2, he wrote, The fire that on my bosom prays is lone as some volcanic isle. No torches kindled at its blaze, only a funeral pile. But Younger wasn't a complete fool. Jesus said he came to himself. The fool saw his folly and detested it. And he vowed to change. And I thought about him. I I thought, you know, he could have given up and just lived where he was and made the best of it. Or he could have blamed others. He could have said, if it wasn't for that stupid older brother of mine, I wouldn't be here. But he took responsibility. And he faced himself and he made the first good decision he'd made for quite a while. And he threw his leg over the pigsty fence and he started home. I will arise and go to my father. I have sinned. Was he for real? Or was he running another scam? We're not sure at this point. But then there is a waiting father. And real fathers don't give up on their children. And sure enough, one morning he saw a distant figure 
coming up the road. Could it be? It was. It was him. And no loss of dignity would keep him from greeting his son. So he gathered up his robe and ran. I don't know if he was 85 or not. But I couldn't run. I might hasten. And I personally think that this is the point of the younger son's conversion because he didn't even get a lecture. <laughs> Not an I told you so. His father could have said, oh no, you can't come home after what you did. Or he could have put him on some sort of probation and said, yes, if you'll if you'll come home and behave yourself and do this and that and the other, you can come home. Or he could have said, when you repay the wasted funds, you can come home. But the father had looked for that boy and longed for him, for him to come home every day. And he cried, strip the rags off. And put the family crest on his finger. And bring out the heart shafter and Mark's robe. And put floor shines on his feet. I kind of wonder what happened to the shoes he had on when he left home. I wonder if he sold them for a scrap of food. And the father didn't listen to any talk about servanthood. You see, he had plenty of servants, but he was short on sons. And then this great father declared a celebration. Where do you suppose he got that dance band on such short notice? Well, this father was God, and the home was heaven. And the father looked around and he saw seven angels polishing their trumpets. And he said, you fellows aren't going to play those for 2,000 years. Come on over. Come down to the barn and hit some hot licks for my son's party. I often wonder what those seven angels are going to play when they blow those trumpets. I think it's taps. At the end of the world. But not tonight. Father said no funeral music now. Play when the saints go marching in. And you angels over there with those harps. Come over here. We're going to celebrate. Play loud enough the neighbors can hear because they'll want to come. And I know there are people who don't like loud music. And shouts of joy may disturb some religious stiffs here. But get ready, get ready, get ready. We're going to a party in the sky. And smile and laugh and dance. And let the fatted calf and the older brother mourn. But we're guests of the great father. And his joy is ours. And then, of course, I've got to speak about the older brother. 
I've often wondered what was bugging him, you know. For one thing, he didn't know his father. He'd lived with him all this time, but he didn't know him. And older had a lot of good qualities, like the Pharisees. And he was faithful to his task, and both felt some kind of personal loss by younger's return. And he says, this son of yours, he couldn't even say my brother, but your son. And older, I think, felt a sense of superiority because he had stayed by the stuff and worked hard and never taken time to celebrate. And the father in this parable had two prodigals, one in the far country and one at home. And the one at home was as far from his father as the one in a far country. An older had learned how to make a living like his father, but he had not learned to make a life like his father. And I think it must have been a jolt to hear his father refer to the prodigal as your brother. And his attitude, frankly, makes me think the news of his brother's death would have been more welcome than news of his return. And I'm sad to say that I've encountered older brothers more than once in churches I've served. Some have been older sisters. But I remember a deacon in one church when I preached on this subject said, you know, I've always been sympathetic to the older brother. And what the deacon didn't realize that he was the exact image of the older brother. He could run people away faster than I could bring them in. And many such people hide their disdain for those who come from the far country. And those who come in may not be as refined as ourselves, but if you're critical of a brother in the Lord, you have an older brother syndrome. It's easy to throw stones at older, but it's even easier to imitate him. The Pharisees could clearly see themselves in the older brother. And I think they did not know how Jesus longed for them to know the Father's forgiveness and for them to embrace those who came from the far country to the Father's house. And this parable is one of three that Jesus gave us in Luke 15. And all three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, have the same point. The point is the joy of God over finding the lost. And one of the big problems, I think, of the body of Christ today is the loss of joy. I don't think we ought to be entertained in the house of God. And I do believe there are places where people go to be entertained. 
But I do think there ought to be joy in the house of the Lord. Don't you? We read today about David dancing for joy. I heard an old song years ago. David danced before the Lord. He danced with all his might. He danced because his spirit was so light. I think we ought to at least express joy, don't you? And there's nothing so powerful as a witness so excited about God's forgiveness that their eyes shine with glory and their speech is spirit-filled. And it's their privilege to tell a world of prodigals and older brothers and sisters that the Father is waiting and the banquet is set and the angels are waiting to strike up the band. So come home. Come home, dear one. Your father's waiting. And your older brothers and sisters here are not the critical Pharisees in Christ's parable, but they're the ones who are ready to tell a younger child this truth in a true family. And out of their own experiences, they speak encouragement and welcome to you. There is a television station, I'm not certain which one now, out of St. Louis, where they have a feature called The Forever Family. Do you ever see that? Where they, the news people seek out children ready for adoption, looking for a forever family. Well, I'm here today looking for someone to be a part of God's forever family. And it does not matter where you were born physically nor when. You can be born again into the family of God forever in his family. Gary's going to come and we're going to open an invitation. And if you're here today and you need to know how to enter the kingdom of God, the family of God, I've got a book here that tells you all about it. It's the instruction manual. And it's so simple. The way to life is so simple that a wayfaring man, though he were a fool, need not err therein. I don't see any fools here. I see people here who are intelligent enough to understand. I feel the Spirit of God strong enough today to lead you. And if you'll come today and express your desire to enter the family of God, God will see to it that you get into His forever family. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.